according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, we are in Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6, really. Uh, We're still in the early verses. We're talking about kindness and truth. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And the verse is uh, only slightly tricky in the sense that the bind them around your neck does not refer to the kindness and truth of verse 3. It goes all the way back to the uh, teaching and the commandments of verse 1. And so as long as we're clear on that, I think we can proceed uh, pretty well through uh, the remainder of verse 3 and on into verses 4 and 5. See, this is uh, key. I think if we, if we don't take it in, these, in this order, then we, we lose out on what verse 5 is really saying. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And, and folks want to rip that out of its context and just let it be a standalone promise as if it doesn't have a context. And then they fail in their, in their faith and they fail in their testing. They say, well, I'm trusting in the Lord with all my heart. But they're not really trusting in the Lord with all their heart because that concept is defined here by those first four verses leading up to verse 5. In other words, uh, they've forgotten the teaching. They're not keeping the commandments from the heart. Uh, They haven't bound them around their neck. They haven't written them on the tablets of their heart. They haven't gone through the the steps of verses 1 through 4, and then they're blaming God when verse 5 doesn't work. All right? And... uh, in any event, we'll talk about that as we proceed and, and get into these issues. Before we begin, let's take a moment for a silent prayer, asking God to bless our study, to set aside distractions, and to humble us under the authority of his word. Shall we pray? Father, we do rejoice in your faithfulness, in the truth of your word, in the blessings that we have to study once again to study, to show ourselves approved before you, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we ask, Father, for this hour, that you would set aside distractions, all the concerns, all the worries, all the struggles, and all the chaos going on. Father, just drive all that from our thinking so that we will take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. That you, Father, would fix our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. Bless our time today, Father. We do thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, this chapter turns to the long-term benefits of a lifetime spent in the Word of God. Long-term benefits of a life spent in the Word of God. And of course, in order for you to spend your life in the Word of God, you can't ever depart from it. You can't forget it. You can't neglect it. This uh, has as a default understanding that we are not forgetting the commandments of God and we are keeping them from the heart, that it is becoming a true part of who we are. It's not lip service. It's not an external show. We're not, uh, we're not keeping the commandments as an external ritual. It is from the heart. It is a reality of who we are. We are doing so because it's shaping us, not because uh, of some external standard or some kind of appearance. We're trying to keep up appearances. We're trying to make our wife happy or we're trying to uh, impress our boss or we're trying to make a splash in the community. We are serving God from the heart. And, uh, and it's on that basis, not forgetting his commandments and serving him from the heart, it's on that basis that we are truly living the word of God. We're living in the word of God and the word of God is living in us. So we have these long-term benefits, including length of days and years of life and peace. Three total benefits. Every believer can expect three additions to their human experience when they are abiding in 
the Word of God. And we spent the last couple of weeks looking at these expressions, the length of days, which are uh, beyond time because they are eternal, <laughs> right? Length of days, the fact that, uh, okay, a certain number of them will be in our mortal existence on this earth, but obviously beyond that we have continue to have length of days once we depart from time and depart from the physical existence. Uh, we still have length of days, but even before we die, the days we have here on earth, each one then becomes lengthened because each one is now recast with an eternal perspective. And it's the blessings we have to have, sure, we've got the same 24 hours the unbeliever has, the same 24 hours that the, that the non-disciple has, but think about how we lengthen each day by redeeming it for the glory of Jesus Christ, by redeeming it and laying up treasure in heaven, by viewing each day with an eternal perspective. The benefits there in terms of length of days. The second expression, years of life. Years of life whereby we have satisfaction. The contrast between Abraham and, and Jacob couldn't be starker. The, uh, the hopelessness that, I, that uh, Solomon expressed in Ecclesiastes really spells it out. There are people that live a long, long time, but they don't have length of days and they don't have years of life. They, they exist, they endure, they suffer through all their misery and they're miserable every step of the way. They don't have what Proverbs is talking about in terms of length of days and years of life, which is the satisfaction of life that he blesses us with. And whether it's 70 years or 58 years or 46 years or whatever it is, we have, we have length of days and years of life in his blessing with, through this perspective of Proverbs. And then finally, shalom. Finally, shalom. We have the completeness, the soundness, the peace, what I like to call the stability all right, the stability, that inner stability, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. A theme call it the inner happiness or the, the capacity, the mastery of the circumstances and details of life, which I love the, the concept of that because it does not matter in terms, of, uh, in terms of these things. All right? The world can be a, a total chaos. We could have uh, testing going on and conflict and all these other things are taking place, and yet in our soul, we're at peace. In our soul, our eyes are on Jesus. We have the shalom, and the world doesn't understand it, all right? But God understands it, and he provides it, and that's our, that's our heritage. Moving on to the main point three, abiding in the word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. Abiding in the word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and truth. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. In other words, they are dwelling with you, you are dwelling with them. We're not in some kind of a, a, a broken marriage or in an estrangement of any sort. All right. Uh, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. The blessings this produces both in the eyes of God and the eyes of men. We'll talk about that as we... Uh, go through this aspect. All right, so this is where our fellowship is, and it's fellowship with Jesus Christ in his word. So, uh, so critical, I think, that we don't lose sight of that. Uh, Christians want to separate fellowship from the reality of the word of God. You can't do that. That's social life. And they confuse fellowship with social life. And if I watch a ball game with you, we're having fellowship. No, we're not. We're watching a ball game. That's social life. I can do that with an unbeliever. 
All right, but the uh, the fellowship in His Word, where we're occupied with Christ, where we're uh, discussing the things of the Word of God, that's where the the true fellowship takes place. All right, in kindness and in truth, in Chesed and in Ameth, and this is uh, what the last couple of weeks have been looking at the Hebrew Chesed, the loving kindness of the Old Testament. The Hebrew is Chesed, C H E S E D or C H E C E D. I should make my slides. Uh, consistent. You see my inconsistent slide right here. Chesed with an S in the middle or Chesed with a C in the middle. I'm going to go back and change that to make them all consistent. I like to use the C for the Samic. That way we don't confuse that, that little guy right there with, uh, with another kind of an S. Anyway, Chesed. However you put it in the English transliteration, it's Cheth uh, Samic and Daleth uh, Chesed. And it's a blend. This is the thing. Chesed is not strictly a synonym for love. Oftentimes it's translated love, but it's not a strict synonym for love. Neither is a strict synonym for mercy, although very frequently it's rendered as mercy. It's rendered with irony in the, in the Septuagint. It's not, a, uh, it's not a strict synonym for kindness. Okay? It's a blend of all of these things coming together, and it is very uniquely unique, very uniquely characteristic for God himself. Only the self-existent I am can truly exhibit the chesed the way that God does. And so this is a Hebrew term that spans the New Testament Greek terms of charis, which is grace, elios, which is mercy, and agape, which is love. In this scope, chesed is a concept that speaks to man's salvation because it's his grace, mercy, and love that saved us. All right? It's his grace, mercy, and love that has sacrificed his son and provided you and me with eternal life. And so when you start studying chesed in the Old Testament, you're going to start encountering concepts and in context and the scope of those passages is often going to speak to a person's salvation to the assurance that they have of eternal life with uh, with god likewise the term truth is the hebrew ameth ameth close your throat to start it like the word honest you close your throat to start the word ameth all right and you make your first e about half the uh, length of your second E, and you've got a pretty good approximation from the Hebrew, a math. Number 571 is the Strong's Concordance number, 127 uses. And this is also a blend. It's not strictly a pure synonym for aletheia. All right? The Greek concept of aletheia is the concept of truth. Aletheia, or the noun aletheis, or aletheinos, some other adjectives and expressions. It is not a true synonym for aletheia because a math incorporates a component of faithfulness. It incorporates a a component of faithfulness. In other words, something is not simply true because it's factually accurate. (laughs) Okay, In the Hebrew way of thinking, something is true because it is faithful and it is reliable. It It is a blend of both aletheia and pistos in the Greek. I find a meth to be an Old Testament Hebrew term that spans the Greek New Testament terms of pistos and aletheia. In other words, both faithful and true. Faithful and true. And both of those get combined, of course, in the title of Jesus Christ, of faithful and true, as he goes forth to wage war at Armageddon. Different aspects there, all right? Now, we have not yet looked... (coughs) at a whole ton of these verses yet. Obviously, we could spend 
quite a bit of time looking at 245 uses of chesed. We could look at uh, 127 uses of emeth, and we would uh, be very blessed in that study. I'm not telling you don't do those studies. Go home and do those studies, all right? And if you need help doing them or you don't have the software to give you the verse list, shoot me an email and I'll give you the verse list. And then you can, uh, then you can uh, track them down and, and have fun. Uh, but under point C, I do give you a verse list, and this is what I do want to spend today working on, are the 33 places in the Hebrew Old Testament where both chesed and ameth take place, such as here. Uh, in Proverbs chapter um, <coughs> 3. <coughs> I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 2. No, chapter 3. Where am I? 3-3. <laughs> three, three. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. All right. Lost track of my chapter this morning. So subpoint C in the outline, 33 verses contain both chesed and math. Once again, I'm reminded there's a slide that has to be repaired to better transliterate chesed. 33 verses contain both chesed and ameth. And here they are, starting in Genesis 24. Genesis 24, verses 27 and 49. Genesis 32, 10. And Genesis 47, 29. So those are the places in the book of Genesis that contain both chesed and ameth. We can start with those. And you get a good flavor for this, I think, as we, as we survey these usages. And we see it's not strictly love, and it's not strictly mercy, and it's not strictly grace in terms of chesed. But it's a blend of them all, and it is the loving kindness of God. In many respects, I, I, I lament the fact that the Elizabethan uh, English of the, of the old King James that gave us such marvelous expressions as loving kindness uh, is largely uh, archaic in our modern world, and that's unfortunate. All right, <clears throat> Genesis twenty four twenty seven. This is when uh, Abraham has sent his servant to obtain a, a bride for Abraham's son Isaac. And uh, he identifies this girl, uh, Rebecca, and identifies that this is God's provision. And in verse 27, he says, Blessed be the Lord, Yahweh, the God of my father Abraham, who has not forsaken his chesed and his ameth towards my master. His chesed and his ameth towards my master. Uh, and as for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Okay? It's almost as if he is secondary. He is just a, a side effect. That's icing on the cake. Uh, the real issue here is that Yahweh has been uh, faithful and true to Abraham. Abraham has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. His loving kindness and his faithfulness towards my master. And this is why we need both components, otherwise we're not functionally saved. If God was not faithful and true, then why would we consider ourselves saved? Just because he's gracious, just because he's merciful, just because he's loving, just because he saved us, all of that's great and marvelous, but if he's not faithful and true, then he could chuck that all out the window tomorrow. You see why it's important? You see why the, the, the love and the mercy and the, and the grace that saves us is as is, 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 is amazing as grace can be, I'm not mocking amazing grace, but I'm saying that as amazing as grace is and mercy and faith and all this, none of that has any value if he is not also at the same time faithful and true. All right, if he's not a liar, if he's not, un, if he's not faithless, if he doesn't just change his mind or get mad or revoke what he previously gave us in his kindness. You understand. Same chapter down to verse 49. 
and um, the recounting of this. And in uh, speaking to um, her brother here in this context, <coughs> um, all right, so, wow, that's a long context here. As far as, uh, there he is, Laban, way back to verse 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside of the man to the spring. And so now um, we have the encounter here with, with Laban. And in, that's the context then that has the statement in verse 49. So now if you, Laban, are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. So Laban and Bethuel replied, uh, the matter comes from the Lord. Anyway, now if you, Laban and Bethuel, are going to chesed, show, manifest, loving kindness and truth. See, it's not just God that exhibits loving kindness and truth. Believers should be a reflection of God's loving kindness and truth. If we're not going to express the loving kindness and truth ourselves, something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. So there's the two places in this chapter, Genesis 24, that contain both chesed and ameth. Over to chapter 32, we've got another verse that has them both. 32.10. Jacob and his uh, unworthiness. I am unworthy of all the chesed and of all the ameth, faithfulness. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray. So he's, he's, he's returning back from his 20 years of living with Laban, returning back to the promised land where he should be anyway under the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet he's terrified that uh, his twin brother is going to kill him. Terrified because when he left town, his twin brother wanted to kill him. And they made up this whole story about, ooh, I need to go find a wife. And that was basically the cover story to get him out of town. So he's praying to, uh, to, to God in verse 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, Yahweh, who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. Remember, God, I'm doing this because you told me. <laughs> I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown your servant. All right, and just stop right there for a moment and agree with Jacob. Of course he's unworthy. We are all unworthy, and that's the point. His biggest mistake is in thinking that anyone could be worthy of loving kindness and, and truth, or anyone could be worthy of anything in God's absolute standard of righteousness. We are always unworthy, and that's what makes it grace. If, if we were worthy of it, it wouldn't be grace. If we earned it or deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. If we worked for it, it wouldn't be grace. So uh, celebrate your unworthiness. And then go to Corinthians and celebrate your worthiness. <laughs> All right? Because we're not worthy in ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. All right. But it's good motivation. It's good motivation to move forward. It's good motivation to have no fear. It's good motivation to say, you know what? God's already blessed me about anything I could ask or think. Why am I, why am I afraid of this other test coming up? He's never let me down yet. He's not going to let me down now. Genesis 47, 29, the last use in Genesis. The last place in Genesis where both chesed and ameth occur. 
These are, these are such overwhelming terms. There's going to be scads of them, of, of each one of them. There's going to be scads of chesids in Genesis and scads of emeth in Genesis. But to combine them together in the way that the Bible does, it's, it's a much more, limited, uh, much more limited search. So Genesis 47.29 When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt, bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And so uh, he says, if I have found favor, that's that's the term chin that we normally associate with grace, the one that's really more of a true parallel with charis. Um, but if I have found grace or found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and, now we got our chesed and our emeth, deal with me in chesed, in kindness, or we could say loving kindness, or we could say mercy, or we could say grace. Deal with me in kindness and in faithfulness. In chesed and in amath. Please do not bury me in Egypt. And again, we find this is now a human being he's speaking to. And we have the human reflection of the divine provision. The only way that Joseph can provide chesed and amath is if he himself is a conduit of the Lord providing chesed and amath. We want to be merciful as we have received mercy. We want to forgive as we have been forgiven. We want to love as we have been loved. In all of these capacities, it doesn't come from us. We are a reflection of what God pours out in and through us for His good pleasure. Exodus 34, 6. Exodus 34, 6. This was, I think, uh, Gary Williams' all-time favorite verse. He just loved this verse. He loved the idea of the Lord passing by and proclaiming this. And the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness, as your chesed again, for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. How can he do that? How could he leave the guilty unpunished? If he left the guilty unpunished, he would be violating truth. He would be violating faithfulness. He would be violating the ameth. He can't be chesed without also being ameth. All right. By no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the grandchildren to the third and the fourth generations. So there's loving kindness and truth. Chesed and ameth in Exodus 34, 6. Comes back again in Joshua. Joshua 2, 12 and 14. Here's Rahab. I know it bothers a lot of people. They uh, they want to rewrite the Bible and call her the former harlot or the retired harlot or the whatever. That's not the Hebrew. That's not the text. She is a harlot. Practicing and operating the establishment she's operating at this time while the spies arrive and hide and all the rest. And uh, 
Anyway, she responds in faith. She serves the Lord. She hides these spies. And um, she communicates what it is that's, that's motivating in this regard. Um, she tells the men in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that Yahweh has given you the land. How does this Gentile Jericho harlot know Yahweh? And that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. We have heard how Yahweh dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For Yahweh, your Elohim, he is the Elohim in heaven above and on earth beneath. And she says, now, therefore, please swear to me by Yahweh. Invoking the name of the God of Israel, swear to me by Yahweh, since I have chesed, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of a meth. Give me a pledge of truth. And this is an extraordinary testimony of a, of a, of a Gentile believer. She's already saved before this conversation ever starts. This is not the moment of her salvation. She was already saved before she hid these spies. All right, and so she wants them to deal with her in grace and truth. Chesed and a meth. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and with all who believe, who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And so the men said to her, our life for yours. In fact, one of these spies is going to marry her. <laughs> okay? And they're going to have a little boy named Boaz. How about that? All right. The, um, verse 14, likewise, the men said to her, our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, it shall come about when Yahweh gives us the land that we will deal kindly, chesed, and faithfully, ameth, with you. She made her request for chesed and ameth, they responded with chesed and ameth, and this is, uh, this is how they operate. Psalm 25.10. Wow, oh, into the Psalms already. Psalm 25, 10. See, there's not a ton of these in the Pentateuch, in the historical narrative. But we do find it very frequently in the poetry. You know, when you have two terms like chesed and ameth that are used in such tandem, shouldn't be surprising that we find them in poetic passages. Poetic passages cry out for the use of terms in tandem. Cry out for parallels. Cry out for, for links between expressions. That's the nature of what poetry does. And so, not surprising that in the wisdom literature, the Hebrew Old Testament is where we find the bulk of these 33 verses that contain both chesed and ameth, starting in Psalm 25.10. All the paths of the Lord are chesed and ameth. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now again, it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. It's not a lifestyle separated from the teaching you keep yourself in. Remember, as we were talking about this in Proverbs 3, you don't want to let kindness and truth depart from you, but they're, going to, they're not going to depart from you so long as you keep the commandments and the teaching bound around your neck. Likewise here, to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. If you're not abiding in the word of God, how are you going to stay on the path of loving kindness and truth? 
And this is why it's so tragic that churchianity today has substituted abiding in the Word of God for other things. And as long as the, the, the folks are still kind of moral and nice, right? It's the theology of nice. <laughs> as long as we're moral and nice and, and good people and we do church well, wait a minute. And, then, and they sacrifice teaching? They sacrifice abiding in the Word of God? They sacrifice studying to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the Word of truth? They substitute all of that for what? And by throwing out the, the, the very basis for what allows this to happen, man, they just undermine the whole thing. So, um, in any event, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth. Are you on the right path? <laughs> are you running with endurance the race that's set before you? Well, here's a good clue. If, you, if you're not in the realm of loving kindness and truth, uh, you're not on his path. Okay, Because all his paths are loving kindness and truth and truth. Psalm, next Psalm, Psalm 26 and verse 3. And this is marvelous. Uh, vindicate, start with verse 1. Justify me, vindicate me. It's a verse you got to include in your word studies on Sedek and Siddiqiah and justification, okay? The experiential justification that takes place in our Christian walk. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. That's the most dangerous confession you'll ever do. All right? I mean, do you really want to do 1 John 1 9? Uh, don't just limit it, your, your confession to your own examination. Ask Him to examine you. Say, Father, I've confessed this, I've confessed that, but I still have this sense, I still have this spiritual discernment that says I'm still carnal. Why is that? What am I forgetting? What am I not confessing? What am I lying to myself about? What am I fooling myself with? <laughs> oh, okay, that's right. And no sooner do you start asking him to examine you, you start asking him to show me, search me, try me, know me, he will. And he will open your eyes to see right here. This is, what, this is where the wedge is. This is where the obstacle is. This is what's keeping you from being back in fellowship again. For your chesed, your loving kindness, is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. That, that marriage of grace and faith. The marriage of chesed and ameth. Where do you think Colonel Theme got that doctrine on the marriage of grace and faith? <laughs> All right. Boy, that goes back several years, doesn't it? Um, chapter 40. Psalm 40. Verses 10 and 11. What's interesting, this is also the psalm where we learn about um, this great Davidic psalm that's quoted in Hebrews. The um, verse 6 that says, uh, Sacrifice and meal offering you have not desired. My ears you have opened or a body you have prepared for me. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. See, David understood what the realities are, and he, pre, he for, uh, prefigured and foreshadowed the realities of Jesus Christ. Fulfillment of this is Jesus Christ, we know, because of the book of Hebrews. And In any event, well, what's wrong with the external sacrifices? What's wrong with the law? Weren't they commanded to do those sacrifices? Weren't they commanded to keep the law? 
All right, but there's a bigger issue behind the sacrifices. There's the reality that the sacrifice is foreshadowed. And it does he no good to follow the, the ritual if you don't know the reality? And if you can embrace the reality, then there are occasions where you will chuck the ritual. David understood that. In his sin with, with Bathsheba, there was no ritual. In his sin with Bathsheba, ritual would have, would have condemned him. Adulterers, adulterers were stoned. Murderers were stoned. Okay? All he could do then was chuck the ritual and embrace the reality. Verse 9, I have uh, proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, you know, I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. Man, there's a lot of doctrine here. Okay, but I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. The problem is, is too many believers are happy to embrace what God provides for them, but then they conceal it. They don't express it. They don't share it. They don't manifest it. And they don't communicate it to others. Particularly if it's in the aftermath of, of a recovery from darkness. Because God pulls you through some carnality, pulls you through some darkness, sets you back in on your feet, and you're too embarrassed to, uh, to testify to that or share that or encourage somebody else with that. You don't want them to know how you stumbled. I don't want them to know how you failed. And you're all uh, wrapped up in shame or whatever, and guilt or whatever it is, pride. Ooh, I don't want them to think, you know, and you blow it in a, in a ministry assignment. When David recovered from his adultery, he said, I will now be able to teach sinners in the way. And so you see a brother, and he's on the verge of wrecking his marriage or ruining his life or doing something horrible. And you can step in and say, hey, wait a minute, and you can share truth and you can encourage and you can manifest the chesed and the emeth and say, wait a minute, buddy, <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. And you can turn a sinner back from the error of his ways. Or you're too prideful, you don't want them to know, ooh, I had this sin in my past. I don't want them to think less of me. And so you watch them wreck their whole life. What love is that? I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. Again, the marvelous aspect of this is we receive his chesed, we receive his ameth. It's, God, it's the Lord's loving kindness, it's the Lord's truth. We are the recipients of all of that. We should be expressing all of that and... What I like here in verse 11 is that it links these two elements together for the whole idea of compassion, of the tender mercies, of the emotions. And yes, it's okay if doctrinal believers show some emotions every once in a while, all right? Even twice in a year is not outrageous. I'm teasing. All right, however many times in a year, however many times in, in a month, however many times in a day, whenever necessary, are there emotions involved in our human experience? Of course there are emotions involved in our human experience. That's what compassion is. Jesus was moved with compassion. He wept. He was moved with compassion. We should be, because God is. 
You're not a weak sister or a rapture sissy or some kind of a, a, a doctrinal dwarf if you don't, you know, if you don't... See, some people think that, well, I've got to have a handle on this or I don't have mastery of the circumstances and details of life. Well, wait a minute. If you're totally devoid of it, I would say you're not mastery of the circumstances and details of life. You've created this shell of, of Vulcan emotionless uh, attitude. You're not even human anymore. What are you doing? Now, it doesn't control you. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you're not a slave to your feelings. And your feelings need to be shaped by doctrine. Your feelings need to be shaped, and here your, your compassion needs to be shaped by the chesed and ameth of God. Otherwise, it's not compassion. And I think there's some people that make excuses for sin and they call it compassion. And they excuse uh, the sinner and they say, oh, well, I, I want to love you anyway. I want to show compassion. I don't want you to think I'm mean or I'm cruel. And all you're exhibiting then is, is cowardice. And you're exhibiting compromise. And you are defying the Scriptures. And that's not love. It's not compassion. Real compassion, as per this verse, identifies with the chesed and the ameth of God. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils, I'm going to verse 12, evils beyond number have surrounded me. What am I going to do? Fellowship with that? Tell them they're okay? My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to see. Yeah, it's going to rub off on you. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head and my heart has failed me. (laughs) Yeah, that's why you need his loving kindness and his truth. So there's Psalm 40. Over to Psalm 57, verse 3 and verse 10. Psalm 57 is uh, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Pretty much a low point in his life at this, at this point. Okay, don't grumble over the bad stuff God's making you go through. You can write some of the best hymns you've ever written. You can have the most intimacy you've ever had with Jesus Christ. When uh, you're hiding in the cave and everybody else wants you dead. Okay, so Psalm 57 and verse... Well, verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God Most High, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples me. God will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. He will send forth his loving kindness and his truth. Now, there's a lot more we can do with this. Are these just abstract concepts at this point? Or does David have the assurance of the personal presence of Jesus Christ? Does David have the assurance that God the Son, in his Old Testament theophany, the angel of the Lord, that the personal presence of God himself in kindness and in truth, loving kindness and truth, was going to stand on behalf of David in this cave? A lot of times we look at these and these these combined loving kindness and truth references, I think, are titles for Jesus Christ. Because what's the name that he puts on his his thigh when he goes forth to to do battle? Faithfulness and truth, yeah. So uh, this could be David's way of claiming uh, Revelation 19, thousands of years before Revelation 19 ever got written. 
How's that for a beautiful idea? Same chapter, though, down to verse 10. This is why it doesn't matter. He's, he's, he's got faith. He's, he's confident, even though his soul is among the lions. My heart is steadfast, verse 7. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Um, down to verse 10. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. Isn't it remarkable how Satan wants to rise above the clouds and yet Satan has no frame of reference for loving kindness and truth. <laughs> he wants a position, but he wants a position that's completely alien to his, to his entire being. That's Psalm 57 and verse 10. Psalm 61. Psalm 61 and verse 7. Another song of confidence, of taking refuge in the rock. And uh, he says, He will abide before God forever. Appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever that I may pay my vows day by day. All right, loving kindness and truth connected with eternal life. He will abide before God forever. All right, appoint loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. That's Psalm 61 and verse 7. Psalm 69 and verse 3. You know, when when you're trying to find verses that pertain to Old Testament salvation, I don't know that you can do any better than Psalm 61, 7. You want to abide before God forever? Then God Himself has to appoint loving kindness and truth. All right, Psalm 69 and verse 3. 13. Aha, thank you, sir. I need to change that. All right, another Psalm of David, and um, one that speaks of his betrayal, one that speaks of uh, his, his foreshadowing of Judas Iscariot and the betrayal there, and so it applies to David, but it applies to Jesus, and we've got uh, dual fulfillments of this in different ways. Um, but in verse 13, as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. It's kind of fun to posit the question, well, what's the acceptable time? <laughs> you know, it's his time. It's his time. And if it's slower than we want, well, then what we want is not acceptable to God. I realize we want everything answered right here, right now, immediately. And we would be spiritual infants in heaven. We would be stunted dwarfs when we get to heaven. We will never grow because all of our tests were limited to 30 minutes or less. And, and we never developed any kind of steadfastness or endurance or capacity for a long-term uh, trust. <clears throat> you know, it'd be like the weightlifter and all he does is two-pound weights. How impressive is that in the Olympic Games? All right. So that's Psalm 69 and uh, verse 13. Over to uh, Psalm 85 and verse 10. Uh, 
Verse 9 says, Surely His salvation is near to those who fear Him, that glory may dwell in our land. Loving kindness and truth have met together. This is the marriage of grace and faith. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before Him, and will make His footsteps into a way. And so here we actually have two tandems. We have the chesed and ameth tandem, the loving kindness and truth tandem in verse 10, but then we also have righteousness and peace. Okay, Tzedek and Shalom. And how it is that, uh, that this is also the heritage of those who are born again, saved, whether in your Old Testament or New Testament in your salvation, this is the, uh, the heritage of the redeemed. The heritage of born again believers have been reconciled to, uh, to God through faith in Christ. Psalm 86, 15. Here's uh, again betrayal. Everyone else is out to get you. You know, are you paranoid if it's true? (laughs) Verse 14 says, O God, arrogant men have risen up against me. A band of violent men have sought my life, and they have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Basically a citation out of Exodus and claiming it in his prayers, claiming it in his promise. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Grant your servant, grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. But there it is again. He's slow to anger and he's abundant in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 80, see that was 86, 15, 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. And this is a description of the millennial kingdom, a description of how Jesus Christ is going to reign when he's seated on the throne of David. Righteousness and justice as a foundation. Loving kindness and truth proceeding. Psalm 108, verse 4. So thanksgiving hymn, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing, I will sing praises even with my soul. Awake, harp and lyre, I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I kind of figure this is why David was sent out to the field as often as he was. <laughs> he woke up early, he wanted to get his instruments out and wanted to sing, and Jesse and Mrs. Jesse were, get out of here. <laughs> Go hang out with the sheep. Anyway, I, um, I don't know where that thought came from, but all right. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the skies. There's that tandem again. Heavens and skies, chesed and ameth, loving kindness and truth. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and answer me. Beautiful hymn, all right? Psalm 115 in verse 1. See, when you're fixed on the, on the grace and truth of God, when you're fixed on the chesed and the ameth of God, you've got a heavenly perspective. Your eyes are there. So when Colossians 3 tells you to keep your attention focused on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, 
That's just a New Testament way of saying what David's saying here in Psalm 69 and Psalm 108. We're, we're locking in on loving kindness and truth. Psalm 115 and verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. I mean, this if you need a verse to deal with uh, pride or to deal with self-promotion, are we trying to build some kind of an empire here at Austin Bible Church? We don't want Austin Bible Church to be glorified. We don't want Austin Bible Church. Don't give us a name. You, Father, you're the one that's working. You're the one that's at work. To your name, give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Marvelous principles there. All right, Psalm 117. We're headed for verse 2, but we'll go ahead and read the entire psalm anyway. Do you have to read the whole psalm? Well, if you're flipping pages with me, you already figured out that Psalm 117 only has two verses. All right, so... And if you're not flipping pages with me, if I put you to sleep 20 minutes ago, then the joke went right over your head. All right. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, all nations. That's what hallelujah means. It means praise the Lord. Hallelujah, all nations. Laud him, all peoples, for his loving kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, how would a Muslim possibly say hallelujah or hallelujah Allah? Okay, how would they possibly, they wouldn't hallelujah, but um, how would, because he's not true. Even the Quran says that Allah is a big fat liar. Allah deceives, Allah tricks. Um, The Quran tells them that. In any event, loving kindness and truth. Some of these are qualities that, that Islam views as our weaknesses. They view our mercy and our loving kindness and our grace and our love as just a weakness on the part of Christianity, on the part of Christians. Far from it, all right? Far from it. Loving kindness and truth. There it is, Psalm 117, verse 2. Psalm 138, the last of the Psalms. Psalm 138 and verse 2. Verse 1 says, I will give thanks, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. Wow, did David become a uh, polytheist before he wrote this? No, these are the angels. These are the Elohim, the mightiest of the created angelic realm. But he knows that he lives his life in their view. He knows that he lives his life under angelic observation. Has the perspective to understand angelic conflict. I will bow down toward your holy temple. Remember, David wasn't allowed to build a temple, but he sure talked about it a lot. He wasn't allowed to build the earthly replica of the heavenly reality. He knew his son was going to build it. He rejoiced in that. He helped to fund it. He made friends with uh, the king of, of, uh, of Tyre so that, uh, that the uh, Lebanon could provide the cedar and the necessary uh, building material for his son. He would never live on the earth to see the temple on the earth. But David saw the heavenly temple more clearly than anybody else probably in the whole Old Testament. How many times he mentions the holy temple and there was no temple on earth in his day. There was a tattered old tabernacle that depressed him. The tattered old tent falling apart that David was all gloomy about thinking, Lord needs something better than that. So when he says, I will bow down toward your holy temple, he's talking about the heavenly reality. 
and the perspective that David has to identify with truth. And give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. This verse, I think, spells out so much of why we have doctrine as our high priority here at Austin Bible Church, or any doctrinal Bible church. Because God has magnified His Word according to His name. His name is worthy of worship. His name is worthy of service. His name is worthy of obedience. And He has put His Word on level with that. Someone accuses you of being a Bible auditor. It's ridiculous, okay? They made up the term to say, well... You're an idolater because you have substituted the Bible for God. And, you, and you, you are worshiping the Bible and you should be worshiping God. And then the next thing they'll tell you is don't do so much Bible study, just start loving one another. All right, Just join our light and fluffy approach here. And then you want to you love God, you want to worship God. Don't, don't, don't make an idol out of that Bible. And it's a fallacy. Okay? It's a red herring. And what they've done is they're, they're, they're using that concept, okay? But if God Himself has magnified His Word equal to, according to, on level with, in accordance with His very name, then that means that He Himself has placed His Word in a position that is entitled to all the worship, reverence, respect, obedience, love, embracing everything that He Himself is worthy of. And we, we love Him as we love His Word. We serve Him as we serve His Word. We worship Him as we worship His Word. It's the only basis by which we will have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, that was the main point of this whole point, wasn't it? Abiding in the Word of God equals fellowship with the Lord in kindness and in truth. Because He has magnified it in accordance with His name. All right. So that's Psalm 138. This tandem of chesed and the math is just marvelous. All right. We've got Proverbs 3.3, which is our passage today. There's three more times in Proverbs this is going to come up. And I've got six minutes to finish this verse list. <laughs> Proverbs 14.22. And the narrator says, now we come to the point in the show where Pastor Bob starts speaking so quickly, he'll claim to be an apostle any minute now, and other verbal miscues. <coughs> Proverbs 14, um, the context leading up to this, but will they not go astray who devise evil? But kindness and truth will be to those who devise good. So in your human creativity and ingenuity, and when you just start daydreaming and thinking up stuff, don't be daydreaming and thinking up evil. Be uh, devising, mentally creating, considering and working towards kindness and truth. Okay? No, no, good. Start devising good and don't devise evil, and then kindness and truth become your, become your heritage. We'll get there. Psalm 16, 6. Psalm 16.6. Proverbs 16.6. I'm sorry. Proverbs 16.6. Verse 5 says, uh, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. 
But by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by fear of the Lord, one can keep away from evil. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. So does that mean you can make it up to God if you're a sinner? You can then pay Him back with some good deeds of loving kindness and truth? No. That means you need to be united to the one who is loving kindness and truth. This is another marvelous title for Jesus Christ. By Jesus Christ, God the Son, God man, in the flesh, on the cross, iniquity is atoned for. So occupy with Him. Get saved, and iniquity is atoned for. Why, why do you think it's, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins because by loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. All right. This is a great proverb to combine with John chapter 1. Uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 28. Chesed and Ameth preserve the king. If you have political leaders that are characterized by loving kindness and truth, your nation is blessed. Hmm. No comment. (laughs) All right. I did not uh, watch the speech last night. I was having marvelous fellowship. And... uh, my evening was much more eternally rewarded than had I been sitting there watching a presidential speech and getting all carnal. Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. All right, after Proverbs then, we got Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, and Zechariah. Um, but we'll save that. We'll use that as the introduction to next week, and then we'll... Uh, Go on to wrap this up with points D and E. How it is that the Old Testament emphasis on chesed and ameth come to their marvelous synthesis. I use marvelous too often. Come to their thrilling synthesis in His Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have the living embodiment of grace and truth. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. I thank you for truth. I thank you for grace. I thank you, Father, that we're not under law. I celebrate, Father, how the law came by Moses, but grace and truth are realized in Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that grace and truth are my possession. They are my birthright. They are my blessings. And Father, I want to be a conduit to express chesed and ameth to one another in the body of Christ and even to uh, this lost and dying world, Father. So open my eyes to see these applications that we might be living testimonies to this, to this thrilling doctrine. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.